0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome,
1: welcome, 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 welcome to The Roy Green Show podcast.
0: Premier Mo, thank you very much for the time. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you.
1: Well, thank you, Roy,
2: and I, as always, I appreciate the best, uh, the best walk-in music you could possibly have on any, any radio show.
0: Well, I chose that one myself. <laughs> uh, on your call with mr trudeau on friday after which he seemed to be saying the federal government should have input and perhaps decision-making power on which provinces open and when and how if i understood him correctly uh what's your uh, what's your assessment of that call
2: uh well one uh, w- there 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 are uh, you know metrics that we are all looking at as provinces as we are and then we are discussing them each and every week on our Council of Federation call, as well as in between uh, those discussions, our chief medical health officers are are talking, as well as our our ministers of health or, and and other relevant ministers to this file. So the the collaboration is. Is far and wide, and, and I would say that the collaboration is also with the, the federal government to a degree um, on on what we are doing in, in provinces and what we're even doing in in, in regions of, of each province, and even right down to specific uh, facilities or industries in each province. So, uh, the the collaborative work is is, is far and wide, um, but the fact of the matter is is the restrictions that have come into play are provincial restrictions, and they will be removed at the at the direction and decision of each individual province and they may not even be removed widely across the province. It may be specific regions that uh, where we are having some, some localized um, or regionalized uh, outbreaks that we need to deal with things a little bit differently. So the, the most reactive place and the appropriate place uh, to manage uh, where the restrictions are on, where the restrictions are not, is at the provincial level and, and that's where it will be managed.
0: Premier, let's talk about or please share with us uh, the initiatives undertaken by your government in the province of Saskatchewan. May 4th is when uh, the phased in reopening begins. Uh, Some medical services, some outdoor activities will become available. What's the actual list for May the 4th and how did you decide that that was a good day to get started?
2: Well, it, our, our numbers are, are low here in Saskatchewan, and, and that's not to say they will always be low, but they are low and have been low for the last uh, number of weeks. We're you know down under about thirty and uh, per week now, thirty total uh, new uh, cases per week. We're down about fifty to sixty, uh, or maybe sixty-five active cases across uh, the province. So we have uh, flattened the curve here. Uh, so we had worked with uh, with industries, businesses, but also uh, primarily with our chief medical health officer, as uh, this is a a plan that's focused in in public safety and, and the health of people and it may you know be throttled up or throttled back as we find our way through this but may the 4th is our start date we'll open up with some medical services uh two weeks later uh oh i was sorry we will also uh uh put forward uh, some dates to open uh, some golf courses with some fairly substantial restrictions on on uh, uh how they can operate um it, there, there's a lot of restrictions with respect to how they would operate and our provincial parks. So the golf course was open just prior to the May long weekend. The provincial parks will open uh, uh, June the 1st, but only at about 50% capacity for, for camping and, and a number of restrictions there as well, uh, and the gathering sizes still uh, still remain. Two weeks later, we will go with our phase two, which will be opening up our retail sector. Uh, that will happen, uh, you know, barring uh, we have some some wide outbreaks, if you will, uh, with the opening of phase one, of which we're not expecting. Uh, phase two will uh, open, and we will continue to have our, our contact tracing, our, te- our, our testing ability in place to ensure that we can identify any cases and, and isolate them uh, very quickly to a facility, a community, or wherever that may be. So this is uh, how I think the next number of months look for not just Saskatchewan, but probably gradually uh, across, across the nation.
0: And people will want to start to get out when the weather really turns better and they'll want to do some traveling. So let me ask you about the cooperation. I understand you're going to open the province incrementally based on results that you see as far as the cases of COVID-19 are concerned. Um, Cooperation between the provinces and particularly neighboring provinces. So Saskatchewan and, and, I mean, I'm sorry, Alberta and Manitoba, uh, in in your case, how much uh, conversation is going on between the uh, your, your neighbors and we understand Premier Pallister will in the next few days start to make announcements on reopening Manitoba
2: the collaboration is very close, and uh, I listened to uh, Premier Kenny uh, just uh, previous uh, to coming on here as well. And I think he summed it up well when uh, when he said, and, "And Alberta has the highest testing capacity of any any jurisdiction in in the nation. Is you need that testing capacity, you need the contact tracing capacity, and then you need uh, you need a few other things. And 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 across Canada, I think for in general, and this has improved as we went through the last number of weeks, is we all have." A personal responsibility to uh, ensure that we are physical distancing and we're making every effort to to stop the spread of this not only for our only our own personal health but for uh, the health of those around us our friends and our family and 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 we have been fortunate where in, in Saskatchewan that has worked it, it it is working as well in other areas of the nation and as uh, numbers improve in other areas uh, other provinces will be able to make decisions like we have been able to here the last uh, couple of days um, but premier kenny made a note around how uh, you're going to have these regionalized uh, outbreaks if you will uh, or local flare-ups i know there's uh, an issue with a, a packing plant or two in alberta which actually account for a very large number of, uh, of alberta's cases and 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 we need to deal with those in somewhat in isolation of of the broader general economy, ensure that we have the, the regulations in place so that and working with those particular industries to stop the spread in those areas of our economy. But Where the broader uh, sectors of the economy are are doing quite well with respect to reducing the spread, we need to allow them to continue to operate because people are doing the right thing. They're doing it in their everyday life. They're doing it when they go to work. And uh, business owners, employees, and customers are all uh, very much in general uh, adhering to what is the new normal. Uh, We're not going back to how things were. We're going back to something quite different.
0: Yeah, I think uh, any time I've had to go out, I see people voluntarily taking on the physical separation, and there's no not much grousing. I've heard maybe one or two people, but that's to be expected. Now, Premier, uh, the economy of Saskatchewan, the economy of this country, has obviously been affected, and it's being affected each and every day. I spoke yesterday with Dan Kelly, the president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, small business organizations in this country. We're going to play back part of that conversation after I speak with you. But there is really deep concern among the small business community about their survivability, Uh, 5% saying they're not going to make it, according to Mr. Kelly, and uh, a poll that uh, CFIB did just a couple of weeks ago, 51% doubting or questioning whether they'll be able to move forward if this lockdown were to continue beyond the end of May. Would you speak to that, please? How much has this pandemic affected the, the, the economy of your province?
2: It's tremendous, and and small business is the not only the driver of the Canadian economy, but in Saskatchewan we have the highest per capita rate of uh, entrepreneurship and small businesses uh, uh, operating in the nation, and they employ uh, they employ the largest number of people in our in our communities. So this is uh, of paramount importance, not just to the government of Saskatchewan, but to all provincial governments and the government of Canada. And we've moved forward with a provincial support plan our small business. Uh, our small business a grant here uh, to get dollars in the hands of uh, of businesses and get to get those dollars in their hands quickly and it's it's 5000 up to $5000 and do with what they like and we may actually have to look at, at expanding uh, that program or dovetailing in uh, to ensure that maybe the the federal rental uh, support program is actually getting to small businesses in time and it's the appropriate the appropriate measure and we're still uh, looking at at exactly how that is going to impact them um, the end of the day uh, many of our small businesses our retail businesses are dependent on uh, our export based industry here in Saskatchewan and we need to focus on that as well and the sooner that we can get our our uh, you know our, our mining industry potash uranium our our, uh, our energy industry, agriculture is going. to While they are hitting the field here, uh, as we speak, in the southern portions, uh, get these industries up and uh, and healthy again. Uh, small business then will will thrive in Saskatchewan, and I think by extension across Canada, the, the 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 recipe for success is the industries are different, but the recipe is is quite similar.
0: There are going to be international issues and challenges, like sometimes I think even just getting product from a manufacturing to a consuming nation could be a challenge depending on how much money the uh, companies have to uh, to put into that particular uh, process but we'll we'll see as we go forward uh, premier thank you very much for joining us today and uh, i will what i'll do for you personally is i'm going to send you my music list on spotify
2: yeah, i would love that
0: i'll send you my favorite songs
2: yeah i would love that and i will be listening
0: to them <laughs> all right thank thanks you. so much thanks so much for the have time been- Great to talk to you. Bye-bye. To speak about his province and uh, opening up after the lockdown, carefully opening up, is New Brunswick Premier Blaine Higgs. Premier, thanks very much for joining us, and I have to share something with you that very nobody other today. than you and I will care about. We share the same birthday. Okay. See, oh, I really? No. Yeah.
1: Well, we, we missed it then. Uh, happy birthday-related birthday.
0: And you too. <laughs> I'll send you a card next year. (laughs) All right. All right. Remember that. I I will. I won't. How could I possibly forget? Uh, Premier, let's get to the business at hand. What I found really encouraging is that there's all party support in New Brunswick for the initiatives to phase in the reopening of the province. Talk to us about that.
1: Well I think we, we have uh, it's been a real special time here in New Brunswick. I mean it's been a special time for everyone going through this COVID crisis. but certainly with all four parties working together, making the decisions together, uh, we put a singular focus on what's right for New Brunswick and it's, uh, it is it really uh, it's worked very well and, uh, and and we're in this position because of that unanimity un- in the process, but because of the many people that are seeing this uh, that we're all working together for the common goal.
0: And you've had uh, remarkable success uh, in New Brunswick. Your case numbers are are very low as far as COVID-19 is concerned, but you also have for the people of the province, you have a color code to illustrate the reality of COVID-19 in New Brunswick. How does that work?
1: Well, the idea, of course, and and yes, we are blessed to have a a caseload that's very low at this point. We we don't have anyone in ICU and only four people in hospital. I think seven active cases at this stage. But you know how quickly that can change anywhere. And we've seen it certainly around us and and it could happen here too. So it's going to require diligence going forward, but it's kind of a, a balance. Our weather's getting better. It's can we get a certain amount of outdoor activities? Can we start to you know, open up a bit while all of the while following closely the public health requirements because that that isn't optional. So so when we we look at right now where we are, we're saying you know we, we want people to f- pick a family member so they can once again get um, you know back together. But but it's a family member, so in fa- so you're not going all in the big family outings, but at least you have some uh, direct connection um, that can create some within families. Depends on who you pick, right? Um, yes. The golf courses getting back in the open spaces again. Again, golf courses will present to us, uh, how they can manage the meeting public health requirements because we're saying to, to these folks and, and getting back in the outdoor New Brunswick, but also to businesses going forward, you tell us how you can meet the, the, the requirements for public health. We will work with you and we will, uh, work with you to get set up and audit your, your operation. Uh, WorkSafe will work with you and treat it like any other health and safety situation where workers have a right to know that they're being protected and the employer has an obligation to ensure that that is the case
0: and you are prepared to impose restrictions again should a specific number of cases materialize
1: Oh, absolutely i mean this is this is a a test you know in the sense of can we balance people being you know shut in and and doing very well right from the first-line workers to individuals i think you know any success we've had has been a combined effort by, by many, many individuals throughout our province, but yes. Uh, so we go for two to four weeks after opening up with what we announced uh, on Friday, um, and then, and then from there we we look at okay if we haven't had any real outbreak or if we see a, a isolated area we're able to move in quickly with with massive testing. Uh, then for, you know two to four weeks out we look at more openings, and and also um, that that goes every two to four weeks depending on how we see our results and if we can hold the line here with uh, with the success we've had to date.
0: Premier, this is the time of year when people generally, uh, traditionally, become more mobile, become more active, get in their vehicles and drive, and they go and visit friends or family or they go on a, on a tourism trip. And I've asked Premiers Kenny and Mo the same question I'm going to ask you now. How are you working with your neighboring, immediately neighboring provinces, in your case, Nova Scotia and Quebec, on the issue of uh, interprovincial travel at a time when you're starting to lift the restrictions on uh, uh, on the lockdown?
1: Well, firstly, in relation to Nova Scotia, you know, I, I like so many others, have spoken with Premier McNeil and, and uh, reached out to him in relation to this tragic incident that happened a week ago. and and I just want to take a moment to express my sincere condolences for family and friends in Nova Scotia and our neighbours. Um, it's in, in our case, you know, we're looking at the comparators there and saying, well, PEI is in a similar condition that we are. Uh, Premier McNeil is not ready to do much in that regard yet, and, and, and we understand that. Same with Quebec. Uh, of course, we're border, so we border um, Nova Scotia and, and, and PEI with the, with the bridge and, of course, uh, Quebec and Maine. Uh, we don't see anything happening there with borders changing uh, our access between borders unless it's with PEI. That, that could be something that happens over the coming months, and uh, we'll work continue to work with Premier King in that regard. But right now, we're going to be very focused on our control of our borders, which we have been to date. And uh, again, I uh, shout out to the folks that have been really taking names and numbers, and I know people feel a little bit, okay, is that a privacy issue or not? But we're tracking where people go. We want them to isolate if they're coming in from somewhere. And if they don't have to be there, then we are we're, we're sending them back. We have to be strict around our borders. So this summer, it's a staycation in New Brunswick. We want to have New Brunswickers be able to get out because you're right, there's wide open spaces here. People need to get out and move around. But this year is the year to do it within New Brunswick. And maybe that will open up a bit with uh, PEI. Uh, we'll work together with that province and determine that. Uh, and I'll work with other provinces, but at this stage, it would seem like it'll be restricted mostly with with, with the island.
0: Premier Higgs, uh, share with us, please, what the uh, coronavirus, what the pandemic, has done and is doing to the economy of New Brunswick.
1: Oh, uh, like like everywhere else. I mean, it certainly tanked our our, our growth rate, which was planned to be about one percent, is now negative three, negative four. I mean we but we we uh, when we talk about the all party support, I mean which is unprecedented, I would say in our democratic system, has been a major key to us being um, as successful as we have been to date uh, because people are seeing that all around us um, in the province. but the the we passed a budget probably within record time, I think it was like seventeen minutes, and within three weeks to a month it, it, the budget was just totally uh, I, I won't say irrelevant but next to irrelevant. Uh, we've, um, you know, we had a program in place that we planned that would probably have a take-up of maybe 10,000 employees. It had 67,000 um, people that that uh, took part in the the program, the EI program that came out. We did a gap measurement there, thinking it was needed before the federal program came into place. It shows the kind of de- uh, impact we've had. Um, upwards of 15 to 20,000 people lose their jobs uh, directly that we're aware of. We're working with businesses. We have 1,500 businesses that have applied directly to our navigator system uh, using federal programs and a combination of provincial programs. uh, We're we're looking at starting in phases, you know, to get our economy moving. But it's going to be a slow, methodical process in every step, ensuring that the public health rules can be followed. Um, It's uh, it's unprecedented for sure. We're going back... uh, decades maybe uh, you know certainly 2008 was a big downturn in the province um, back in in the early 80s but uh, it's it is unprecedented but i i feel like we're going to come out of this with a bigger and better stronger province we've learned so much how we can manage and operate government differently we've worked across departments we've worked across party lines and in our hospital system is working better i mean it's certainly we didn't get uh, the stress and strain on it, like uh, we were concerned with, with COVID, then that was a, a blessing for sure. But I uh, I just think we've learned so much, we can't go back. And if we keep working together as, as four parties, there's innovation here that the people in the system, the, the the bureaucracy, the government workers, everywhere have seen how much better we can be. So I don't want to go back. I want to move forward in a whole new, different way. And that's our goal.
0: Well, Premier, congratulations. I think your province could be a template for many other regions in the world. And all the very best to you going forward, and thank you for the time today, and uh, I'll be in touch with you next March 1st.
1: (laughs) All right, I'll hold you to that. Now, you're probably there to be there, but, you know, for me in politics, I might not be.
0: Um, Anyway, (laughs) thank you so much. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, Premier. Great talking to you. Bye-bye. Blaine Higgs, the Premier of uh, New Brunswick. It's funny how little things just kind of... Maybe at a time like this, we, we, we just sort of grasp onto minutiae that normally in life we would just look at and walk past. Tim Danson joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Um, Tim, it's, it's repulsive, and I would imagine quite a surprise to most Canadians to know that Bernardo has these rights to have his interactions with, with the parole board declared confidential.
3: Well, we certainly find it to be offensive um we participated of course in his last parole hearing where it was his first parole hearing on october 17 2018 and our job is to put forward the best case we can uh to prevent him from being released uh obviously he is a serious serious danger and the parole board agreed with us so his parole was denied but you know he gets the right and this bothers me too to apply for parole every two years um so we already have to start, play, you know, preparing for the next one, and we want disclosed uh, all of the records that he is relying upon to effectively being to be relieved from the consequences of his life sentence, and all the materials that the parole board will be looking at and relying upon to adjudicate this issue. What bothers me is um, Paul Bernardo is seeking a public remedy. So, to, and when I say a public remedy, he's seeking to be relieved from the consequences of his life sentence. He's being requesting that he's paroled and back out into the community. This is in every way public. So, for the parole board to tell us that uh, his privacy rights trump the public's right to know transparency in our criminal justice system uh, is repugnant to me. Um, and as a result, uh, we have brought uh, a constitutional challenge. Uh, to um, the legislation and to the decision of the parole board that is denying Canadians the right to access to this information. Information, and and, and let's put this in a proper perspective, his trial was public, his sentencing was public, his dangerous offender application was public. Why all of a sudden is his parole hearing uh, going to be a secret, which itself is public So we've even asked for um, the audio tape of his last uh, parole hearing uh, so we could get a transcript because I've had experience in other cases where offenders um, uh, at each of their parole hearings start changing their evidence and and start lying. Uh, Yet you have a different panel of the parole board. So we need the audio tape. We need a transcript so future parole uh, board panels can uh, be reminded about what the offender said previously. And I have to tell you this, and this is really disturbing. Um, as I say, these parole hearings are public, but they're circumscribed by the, the, the room itself because it's very small. Uh, but when Paul Bernardo was being questioned about his offenses, uh, it was as if he was talking about the weather. And when you listen to his tone of voice, his voice, Canadians have a right to hear that. Uh, they have a right to, uh, to evaluate uh, how the parole board does, does its job. And the other thing that's offensive is that subsequent to his hearing, his sentencing hearing 25 years ago, or more than that now, um, the criminal law, the criminal code changed to allow judges to impose consecutive ineligibility periods, which means this. When he was sentenced, he was sentenced to life imprisonment without parole eligibility for 25 years. That's that's his penalty for, for Leslie Mahaffey. And then he's convicted also of the murder of Kristen French, but his parole eligibility is still 25 years. So he's getting a free pass for the murder of Kristen French, which is just repugnant. So the criminal code was changed so you could give consecutive um, ineligibility periods. And Justice Lesage, the trial judge, said that Paul Bernardo must spend the rest of his natural life in jail, and there's no chance of rehabilitation. So if this law was in place, he would have made parole ineligibility 25 years plus 25 years, and therefore his parole eligibility wouldn't even be coming up until the year 2043. So the thought that Paul Bernardo was seeking this public remedy to be released and we're not able to get his records that he's relying upon uh, I I find is fundamentally um, um, untenable. And, and, And the last point, Roy, and is that uh, in terms of the law, forget about even constitutional principles, just the, 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 the correctional uh, um, release act, the correctional, uh, the, the legislation that governs this, uh, the CCRA is, is that uh, there is a balance between the privacy interests of the offender, and I don't believe they exist here from the moment you apply for parole, and, um, and the public interest. How, how, how possibly, on any perspective, can someone like Paul Bernardo's privacy interests, he certainly didn't give respect the privacy interests of my client when he's torturing them and murdering them, how his privacy rights trump, uh, trump uh, the public's right to know. Uh, I, I don't get it, but we'll put that before a court, and uh, and hopefully we can change this.
0: Well, you're a remarkable man and, uh, and, and lawyer. You've been standing by the families for so many years, Tim, and represented them so well, and... Uh, uh, this country needs to get behind this. Um, uh, all our media organizations need to get behind this. The federal government needs to get behind it. The federal government could pass legislation to take care of this. I only have a few seconds left, but they could do that, couldn't they, Tim? They could pass a law.
3: Yeah, they could, and you just made a very important point, Roy, and that is that in this time, you know, the media was against us when we fought the video tape issue at trial. And I've got 10 I seconds, hope, Tim. I hope the media gets on, on intervenes on our side as well, because this is a freedom of press issue.
0: Lior samfiru is uh, the employment law specialist uh, samfiru tamarkin llp and uh, s uh, stlawyers.ca is where you find them on uh, online and there's also a long-term disability law and personal injury law practiced at st CA. it's been a while since i've spoken with leor samfiru good to have you on the show leor
4: always a pleasure roy
0: And thank you for taking extra time because we'll include some phone calls from our listeners in the second segment who may have questions about uh, employment issues as they affect them at this particular time. So we'll take calls in a few minutes time. What do you think of that, uh, that suggestion that's come from Germany, from the federal labor minister, that they are going to look to write into law the right of people to demand to work from home?
4: I, I like the idea of working from home and I think that a lot of employers and employees are understanding right now in this situation that, wait a second, we can actually be productive and get work done from home. So I think the new reality is that it's going to be much, a much more common thing that we see. Now I, I don't necessarily like the notion of legislating this and, and requiring an employer to do this. I would rather build in incentives. Uh, to allow employers, to, to allow employees to uh, to arrange for working from home so by way incentives, whether it's through tax breaks or other incentives, rather than, than require the employee to make it. Uh, simply not every business is suited for it, but I think in the future, Roy, we're going to see so many more people working from home. That's inevitable.
0: This uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic really may change the dynamic of so much of our daily lives, including employment. Um, Leo, I'm just looking at a story on globalnews.ca written by my colleague Sean O'Shea, and uh, it it, uh, quotes you, um, and it has to do with HBC, Hudson's Bay Company, and more than 90 employees on severance benefits. What's the story here?
4: That's a very unfortunate story. So HBC had uh, enacted, with respect to a number of employees, a pay reduction. Uh, earlier in April and they made it very clear in their writing that we're doing this because we want to keep you employed Mr. Employee therefore uh, please accept this pay cut well wouldn't you know it 24 hours after this pay cut comes into play the, the same employees get laid off so if that's not bad here's really the, the clincher now the severance that the employer is paying that HBC is playing is going to be based on this lower amount, on this pay reduced, uh, on, on the pay reduction. So not only are these, these employees, I say, uh, somewhat lied to, but now HBC is trying to take advantage of this pay reduction by paying them less. So I, I thought that that's a very uh, wrong thing to do on so many levels by, the, by HBC.
0: How does this have the potential to turn out uh, if, if it if it does end up going to court, which, Probably, I don't know, I shouldn't say, probably shouldn't, won't happen, but how do you see it playing itself out?
1: There's no
4: doubt in my mind that if this had to play out, and and I really hope that it doesn't, but if it does have to play out, uh, number one, uh, HBC has to do a lot of explaining as to how it can announce a pay cut and 24 hours later terminate the same employees, because if you're you're at the time you're implementing a pay cut, you know you're going to terminate the same employees. That's bad faith. But beyond that, the law does make it very clear that when we pay severance to employees, we have to consider them as if they were working their regular job, their regular hours with their regular income. So HBC does not actually have the right to include or to base severance based on this reduced salary. They really should have known better here. And my hope is that this was some sort of a mistake or crossing of the lines and this doesn't need to go too far.
0: (laughs) or have the fundamentals of employment law changed at all or have the lines been blurred at all because of the lockdown and much of the economy uh, being stalled during the pandemic
4: the reality is that no and there's almost this assumption that because this is such a unique situation clearly it is that this might or must impact laws and the reality is that it probably doesn't and here's what i mean by that An employer generally does not have the right to make significant changes to the terms of employment. So when I'm talking about significant changes, I'm looking at things like pay reductions, uh, changing of hours, even temporary layoffs. Well, the same thing happens now. Despite the pandemic, an employer doesn't have an inherent right to do that. Now, an employee may be more inclined to allow such changes to happen. Because they understand that there's uh, an economic reality and they don't necessarily want to be out on the job market looking for work at this time. But in terms of the law, an employee can still treat these types of changes as a termination, what we call a constructive dismissal. So for the most part, the laws, they may be inadequate for a situation like this, but they're still the same.
0: I should point out to our listeners as well that ST Lawyers, uh, you have offices across Canada, so we're not talking about province-specific legislation like just pointing at, at Ontario. They're, obviously, provinces have different regulations, but you're talking in a, in a more broad perspective that, uh, that applies to everybody in the country. Um, Absolutely. What
4: I said now is generally the common law in, in, in Canada essentially every province other than Quebec that's slightly different uh, the laws really are the same and they have not changed to to uh, reflect this new pandemic reality we're living with
0: what are some of the most challenging aspects of the uh, this CERB program the CERB program and, and 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 when you look at EI versus CERB who has access to what uh, and when
4: well, it's probably one of the, the, the most common questions I've been getting for the last month or so is, do I qualify for the CERB? And uh, it, it's a le- legislation that was put together very quickly, and because of that, it's not necessarily the most user-friendly legislation. So the CERB, very briefly, of course, is a benefit that's available to those whose job or, or income has been impacted by the uh, virus. And whereas EI is dependent on you having worked a certain number of hours before you were let go. The CRB does not depend on that. To qualify for the CRB, you have to show that you've either stopped earning income completely or you're earning no more than $1,000 a month, and as well as that you've earned at least $5,000 in the previous year. So regardless of your income level or any other factor, you will get, in those situations, $2,000 a month or up to four months from the federal government. Now, in terms of the most often uh, misunderstood portion of this, is a lot of the people believe that you can get that simply by choosing not to work or maybe being concerned uh, about going into work, and that you can also refuse to come back to work if it's more profitable, quote-unquote, to stay at home and get the CERB. Well, this is a benefit that's designed for those who don't have the ability to work who do do not have the ability to work to earn income it's not designed to help people who would rather stay home based on a financial decision and I'm hearing from employers saying we're trying to call back employees to work but you're telling us why should I come into work and risk leaving the house when I can just sit at home and get my two thousand uh, dollars these individuals not only should not be receiving the CERB, but in fact could be considered by their employer to have resigned So it really is important that individuals inform themselves as to whether or not the CRB is something that they qualify for.
0: Just before I take a call, Leor, a question about employers' rights. Uh, Most small business owners across Canada, in a poll conducted by the CFIB, worry they may not be able to reopen if the lockdown continues past the end of May. And uh, Dan Kelly, the President and CEO of the CFIB, told us yesterday that 5% of small business owners already say they don't expect to be able to reopen at all. What are an employer's rights if they're in extreme financial and business survival situations?
4: So the, the best advice to employers is to try to certainly take advantage of the various government uh, programs that may be available, whether it's for rent relief, for wage uh, subsidy, Uh, for business loans that the government is guaranteeing for for certain employers to uh, to try to bridge them uh, to a point where they're now operating. Now, in terms of employment law, I would urge employers to really be open with their employees about what the situation is and what the expectations are rather than to try imposing measures on their employees that the employees may not understand and then the employees may choose to take legal action because they don't necessarily understand where the employer is coming from so i think being open with employees about measures what's required and why the employer is doing what it's doing can help alleviate some of those concerns that an employee may misunderstand and take legal action
0: All right, let's take a first call here. Susan is calling from Burnaby, British Columbia. Hi, Susan.
1: Hi. uh, I hope you and yours are well and continue to be.
0: Thank you. Um, You're so kind.
1: I have a 26-year-old son who lives with his father, and we encouraged him to stop work um, because his father has a couple of lung conditions, and we were concerned because our son works at a pet store and no social distancing or any other measures were in place. So I'm wondering uh, whether that was the right advice to give him and whether he would be able to um, um, get the ERB.
4: That's a great question. In terms of right versus wrong, I mean, I think it goes way beyond employment law, but let me focus on the employment issues here. Ultimately, an employee cannot simply decide not to go to work and get the CRB even if they have the best reason as I think your, your son would. Uh, now, that said, if the employer certainly does not allow social distancing, there may be other things that can be done. One of them is what we call a work refusal, which is a formal process that requires the employer either to fix the problem or potentially get a representative from the Ministry of Labor to investigate and actually determine if the work is safe. Short of that, I always advise employees to talk to your employer and perhaps agree that a, a, a layoff may be the best approach here to avoid risking the, uh, the employee's health or the family of the employee. So, but simply deciding, well, I have a good reason, therefore I'm not going into work, number one, you, you would not qualify for the CRB. And the other concern, as I said earlier, is that the employer may choose to treat this absence as a resignation. So discussing it with the employer and trying to agree on something that's mutual, I think is always the best uh, best option.
0: All right, Susan, thank you very much for the call. Uh, great advice. Uh, Max in Calgary, go ahead for Lior Samfiru.
4: Hi. Uh, so my fiancé was uh, temporarily let go back in March, and so she immediately applied for EI, and when they fin- when she was finally sent her EI check, she got, I think, Four thousand dollars or something like that, which was no, which is nowhere near how much she makes on an everyday basis. And when we looked into it, we're pretty sure she got two thousand separate from her EI. So we think she got the uh, CERB as well. Can she use both, or should she set one aside and not spend it? And this is a common question, given the sheer volume of individuals that have applied. Certain things happen that shouldn't happen. Certain mistakes happen on the government side. What should have happened is she should have automatically been transferred into the CRB program and just gotten that. But if she got both, that's not a big deal. A payment is going to have to be returned to the government. And if you look online, CRA has created a website that gives you information as to how to arrange for the overpayment to get get paid back to the government. So there's nothing to lose sleep over. No one's going to come knocking on your door, but the payment will likely have to be uh, returned. It is a fairly common scenario these days.
0: Max, thank you for the call. And, and the CERB is taxable, isn't it, Lior?
4: Yes, it is taxable, but taxes are not deducted at source, so it is a good advice to put some money aside to pay the inevitable tax
1: bill.
0: Trevor in St. Albert. Alberta. Trevor, what's your question?
1: Yes, uh, I was let go from my position, and... Um receive the CERB. I'm just curious, after the CERB runs out, will I be eligible for EI?
4: So the answer is absolutely yes. So long as you meet the EI criteria, you've worked uh, and uh, had enough insurable earnings. But absolutely, once the CERB runs out, if you're not back at work earning income, you will qualify for your regular EI benefits.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much and best to you and yours. Thank you.
0: Thank you for the call, Trevor. Appreciate it, and the best to you. Um, Leo, you also have the Pocket Employment Lawyer available, including the severance, severance pay Calculator. Tell us about that.
4: So, it's a tool that we created at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca that allows people to do a number of things, including find out how much severance they're actually owed, to use that as a guide to determine if they're let go or are concerned about letting go. It's, it does a number of other things that allows individuals to determine if they've been constructively dismissed, if they're really employees or contractors, uh, and a number of other things as well, just as a guide, because there's so many misconceptions when it comes to employment law.
0: Okay, we have 30 seconds left. What's the most common question that you hear, and what's the answer to that question?
4: The most common question that I hear is is really about the uh, ability to, to decide not to work when we feel the work is unsafe. and and that is the number one question. My best advice, as I said, is if the work is truly dangerous, then engage in a work refusal. Otherwise, work with your employer either to allow yourself to work from home, to uh, give yourself uh, an ability to work in an area that's isolated, or perhaps work on a leave of absence. But I don't want anyone to simply say, I'm deciding unilaterally not to go to work. That is the wrong thing to do, despite certain premiers saying that that's what you can do, that is wrong.